You know, in any battle or match or fight, you need to know your opponent, at least if you want to optimize your chances of winning. This is true whether you're a boxer in a ring or an attorney in a courtroom or a general in a military campaign or a taxpayer doing battle with the IRS. Now, when people talk about fighting the IRS, they generally have in mind one of two different situations and possibly both, which I guess is a third situation. Situation number one is when your tax liability is in question, meaning that the IRS believes you owe more in taxes than you believe you do. In this case, you are fighting the IRS over the amount you owe. You are fighting over your liability. Situation number two means your tax liability is not in question, meaning that both you and the IRS agree that you owe a, a certain amount of tax, but you want to get the IRS off your back and possibly get some of your tax debt forgiven, or at least be allowed to pay it on your own schedule rather than all at once. In this case, you are fighting the IRS over how much you can afford to pay, or at least how much you can afford to pay right now. In this scenario, you are fighting over your collectability. Situation number three is when you are contesting both your liability and your collectability with the IRS. Not only do you believe the IRS thinks you owe them too much money, but you also don't think you should have to pay them the full amount that you believe you actually owe, or that you shouldn't have to pay it all at once, all right now. And you can use the system that I will tell you about in this video to fight the IRS and win in all of these scenarios. It's just that with scenario one, you can stop at step six in this video, but if you're in scenario number two or number three, or even after your liability with the IRS is established, you still want to argue that you shouldn't have to pay all of that, then you'll need to go through all the steps I lay out in this video. So without further ado, here are the 10 steps you need to take to fight the IRS and win. Step one, know what winning is. Obviously, when you're fighting the IRS, we're not talking about a death match where one of you survives and the other doesn't. When we're talking about fighting the IRS, we're talking about getting yourself in the most advantageous position possible with the IRS, which generally means paying the least amount of money you legally can to them. So as a first step, you need to establish for yourself your goal. I'm going to get into the technical tax resolution options later in this video. But as a first step here, think up in your own words where you want to be with the IRS at the end of this battle. What does victory look like for you? For example, is your goal here to simply get the IRS off your back to stop garnishing your wages, draining your bank account? while well, you get some time to get the money together to pay them off, or uh, perhaps to work out some kind of pay over time plan? Or do you actually want to settle your debt with the IRS for less than you owe? Do you want to eliminate penalties on your account as much as you can? Come up with a goal here, or even a few goals for your fight with the IRS, because that will help guide your course and help you win. If you have no idea where to start here, and you have no idea what goal or goals are even appropriate for your situation, you may want to hire tax professionals like my team at Choice Tax Relief, you can give us a call 866-8000-TAX. That's 866-8000-829. We'll discuss your situation and give you some guidance. Step two, get your transcripts. Next, you want to figure out what you're fighting over, namely the tax liability the IRS believes you owe them. There are a few ways to do this, but perhaps the most straightforward way is to obtain your transcripts from the IRS for each year you want to fight the IRS over. You can pull these at irs.gov slash individuals slash get 
dash transcript. Now, for any given year, there are potentially four different kinds of IRS transcripts. There's the, the tax return transcript, there's a tax account transcript, there's the record of account transcript, and there's the wage and income transcript. But the only two that I typically pull for my own clients are the tax account transcript and the wage and income transcript. Your IRS tax account transcript is a record of what the IRS thinks you owe them for that year. It shows your balance with the IRS. These are the taxes that you currently owe, plus any assessed penalties and interest, as well as any accrued penalties and interest that have not been assessed yet. Your IRS wage and income transcript is a record of what the IRS thinks you made during the year. It shows the wage and income information that was reported to the IRS for that tax year on forms such as W-2s, 1099s, K-1s, things like that. So what do you do with these transcripts once you pull them? Well, that's step three. Check for errors in your transcripts. I'll admit, IRS transcripts can be difficult to read and understand, but it's vitally important that you review them for any errors that could help you in your fight against the IRS. So let's start with the easier one, the wage and income transcript. Your wage and income transcript lists out all the wage and income tax documents that were filed with the IRS under your social security number. Understand that these documents were prepared by third parties, your employer in the case of a W-2, a company you worked for in a non-employee capacity in the case of a 1099-NEC or used to be you know, 1099-MIS. So it's, it's possible a given third party made a mistake in reporting your income on the form. So go through each document indicated on your wage and income transcript, make sure all the information presented makes sense and aligns with your own records. It's also important that you review your account transcripts as well. On the first page of your account transcript, you'll see the total amount that the IRS believes that you owe the federal government. These amounts are broken down into four line items. The first is your account balance. This is the sum of the total taxes, penalties, and interest that the IRS has assessed on your account. The next is accrued interest. This is the amount of interest that has accrued on your account, but has not yet been assessed. Next line item is accrued penalty. This is the amount of penalties that have accrued on your account, but have not yet been assessed. Then you have the account balance plus accruals, which is the sum of those first three amounts. This is the total amount the IRS believes you owe them for the year for which you pulled the account transcript. Does the total amount look correct? Check it. Keep in mind, of course, that a significant amount of penalties and interest may have inflated your balance over time, and to the extent that those penalties and interest were already assessed and not merely accrued, they will appear on that first line account balance, and you can see the detailed transactions further down on your account transcript, where you can see all the transactions by date. Then on your account transcript, you'll see the transcript information from the return section. This section of your account transcript pulls information from the tax return you filed for the year, or if you didn't file a return for the year, information from the sub substitute for return, the SFR, the IRS may have already filed for you. If you don't know what SFRs are, be sure to watch my video on filing back tax returns for years in which you never filed what we're supposed to. The link to that video is at the top of the screen as well as in the description below. There's a lot of good information in that video for all of you non-filers out there. But if you did file and you have a copy of your tax return, compare the numbers on it to the numbers on the transcript. The next thing you'll see on your transcript is all the transactions pertain to your account for the tax year for the account transcript you're looking at. And each of these transactions have different codes on them. I can't go through all of them because there are just too many, but here's some example codes. So you could, you could see code 140, inquiry for non-filing a tax return. This is when the IRS thinks you should have filed a tax return and you didn't and they let you know. Code 300 is assessment of tax. Code 160 is assessment of a failure to file penalty. Code 276 is assessment of a failure to pay penalty. Code 336 is interest. Code 582 is filing of a lien. Code 150 is when the IRS prepares that substitute for return. This is when you, you don't file your tax return on your own and the IRS prepares one for you. And this leads me to step four, which is this. 
If SFRs have been filed, consider filing returns for those years if you see Code 150 on your account transcript. That means that the IRS prepared a substitute for return or SFR for you for that year. Like I said previously, an SFR is a tax return filing that the IRS will sometimes prepare for taxpayers who do not file a tax return for a given year. It generally takes them a few years to get around to find the SFR. Now, an SFR for a given year will generally be strictly based on the wage and income transcript for that year. So on your account transcript, you'll see the Code 150 for when the SFR is prepared. Then further down on your account transcript, you'll see the actual assessment of taxes, penalties, and interest based on this SFR. And if the IRS has prepared a substitute for return and SFR for you for a given year, you should consider whether you should file an actual return for that year. This is generally advisable if filing an actual return will result in a lower tax liability than that reflected on the SFR. However, if you are a good candidate for an offer and compromise or for currently non-collectible status, that's CNC status, and you expect to be able to remain in CNC status until the collection statute expiration date for the tax balance in question, it may actually make no difference to your situation whether you file a return to correct your tax liability on an SFR or not. And in some cases, this is kind of technical, but it could even make you a better offer and compromise candidate to not correct the SFR. Like I said, the reason for that is somewhat complicated and probably something I will cover in another video. All right, step five, make sure you file the last six years of returns. The IRS will generally require you to be in tax filing compliance before they will entertain the notion of agreeing to some kind of tax resolution for you, before they will even let you fight them, so to speak. The good news, though, is that the IRS's policy for what constitutes tax return filing compliance for these purposes is found in Policy Statement 5-133, which requires tax returns to be filed only for the last six years to the extent those returns were required in the first place. So ensure that you have filed the last six years of returns to the extent these returns are required. And waiting for tax returns older than three years to be processed is uh, certainly an exercise in patience because tax returns older than three years will have to be paper filed. For more information on and strategies for filing past due tax returns, like I mentioned previously, check out my video on filing back tax returns. Link to that video is in the description below. Step six, contest any remaining overstated liabilities. At this point, you've filed returns to correct any SFRs with overstated liabilities, if doing so made sense, and you filed the last six years of tax returns, so you know what you owe for each of those years. And in most cases, once you've done those things and those returns are processed, you and the IRS should pretty much be on the same page in terms of your outstanding tax liability. However, there are sometimes issues with certain tax years where you and the IRS may still disagree on what you owe for that year. An example of this maybe is when you and the IRS uh, disagree about certain items on a previously filed tax return. There are a myriad of things you and the IRS could disagree about on an already filed tax return, Contest contested basis, you know, maybe they think you took overly aggressive deductions, certain tax positions and more, they could potentially audit you, right? I'm not gonna go through all the examples here, but I will say if you and the IRS are butting heads in an audit on a particular issue where you're convinced you're right, and the IRS is obviously convinced they're right, don't hesitate to reach out to us at Choice Tax Relief. You can check us out at choicetaxrelief.com or by calling 866-8000-TAX at 866-8000-829. All right, step seven, look into penalty removal. If you owe the IRS, you likely have some penalties that have been assessed over the years. There are over 150 
penalty provisions in the Internal Revenue Code, but the most common penalties are the failure to file penalty, which is the penalty for not filing your tax return on time, and then you have the failure to pay penalty, which is the penalty for not paying your taxes on time. So if you filed your tax returns on time, but simply didn't pay the tax, you would only be subject to the failure to pay penalty. However, if you filed your tax returns late and you didn't pay the tax due on them, you would be subject to both the failure to pay penalty and the failure to file penalty. We routinely work with clients who have tens and sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of tax penalties on their account. The good news, however, is that the IRS is known to forgive these penalties from time to time. And this process is known as penalty abatement, and it can be well worth your time if you qualify. In the coming weeks, I will be releasing a monster of a video about how to get penalty relief from the IRS. You do not want to miss that video. Be sure you're subscribed to the channel to make sure you don't miss it or forget about it. All right, so at this point, you've gone through uh, these seven steps and you've theoretically nailed down your liability with the IRS and obtained any possible penalty relief that you're entitled to. So at this point, you and the IRS should, should be on the same page, right, about your liability. So now if you were a scenario one kind of person in the three scenarios I mentioned at the beginning of the video, your task is, is pretty much done right? You should have successfully argued down your liability or tax liability at this point to the amount that you believe you owe. But even after you and the IRS agree on your liability, if you want to go beyond that and argue that you shouldn't have to pay this liability in full, or at least that you shouldn't have to pay it in full right now, the remaining three steps, steps eight, nine, and 10 are for you. So here they are. Step eight, determine your tax relief options. If you cannot afford to pay off your balance to the IRS right now, you must work out a deal with them that works for both of you, okay? Or else the IRS will take forced collection activity against you. So in this step, I'm gonna go over the three most common tax relief options and whether you qualify for one or more of them depends on a few things. It depends on how much tax that you have, when it drops off due to the 10-year collection statute limitations, and uh, also your financial situation. I've created dedicated videos on each of the three options I'm gonna talk about here. Links to those videos are in the description below. Uh, first option, and, and it's the most basic and the most common, is an installment agreement. Now, an installment agreement is an agreement with the IRS to pay your taxes over time. While the IRS generally wants to push taxpayers into a payment of their full tax balance, including penalties and interest over 72 months, that's the kind of installment agreement they really like, there are often other more taxpayer-friendly installment agreement options. In fact, some installment agreements known as partial payment installment agreements can result in the taxpayer actually having some of their tax debt written off. If you'd like to learn more, you can watch my in-depth video on installment agreements. You can click right up here to access that video, or you can click the link in the description below to access that video. Second major tax relief option is currently non-collectible status, also known as CNC status. Some people call it hardship. Currently non-collectible status is a status taxpayers can enter into if they can show the IRS that they cannot afford to pay them right now. While a taxpayer is in currently non-collectible status, the IRS cannot garnish their wages. They cannot levy their bank accounts either, though they may still file a notice of federal tax lien to protect the government's interest. However, if a taxpayer can stay in currently non-collectible status until the statute of limitations, that is the length of time the IRS has to collect their debt until that statute runs out, the taxpayer's tax debt will be written off 
and they will not have had to pay the IRS a dime. To learn more about currently not collectible status, check out this video right up here. I've also linked to it in the description below. And then finally, third major tax resolution option is the offer in compromise. An offer in compromise is an agreement between a taxpayer and the IRS to settle their tax debt for less than they owe. Now, there are three kinds of offers in compromise. The most commonly submitted and most commonly accepted kind of offer in compromise is the doubt as to collectability offer in compromise. This is a settlement with the IRS on the basis that the taxpayer cannot afford to pay their entire balance they owe, and so the IRS would be better off accepting a lower amount. Then there's a doubt as to liability offering compromise, which is a settlement with the IRS on the basis that the taxpayer does not actually owe the amount that the IRS believes they do. Of course, if you've already gone through the steps here, this shouldn't be an issue. Then there's the effective tax administration offering compromise, which is a settlement with the IRS on the basis that forcing the taxpayer to pay their balance due would be unfair on the basis of hardship, public policy, or equity. And although, for obvious reasons, many taxpayers want to pursue an offer in compromise, not all taxpayers qualify for this kind of tax relief. I have a very in-depth video on my channel on how to calculate your offer in compromise amount, how to even see if you're eligible for an offer in compromise about if you're going for the most common one, which is the doubt as to collectability offer. Link to that video is right here at the top of the screen, as well as in the uh, description below. You can learn all these rules yourself uh, based on my videos, based on reading the Internal Revenue Manual and figure out what resolution option or options are available to you. You can always do this stuff yourself, right? Just like most things you could pay an accountant or some other professional for, right? But if you'd like us to evaluate your options for you, give us a call here at Choice Tax Relief, 866-8000-TAX. That's 866-8000-829. You can also visit us at choicetaxrelief.com. And then we have step nine, which is after you've determined the best tax relief option that you qualify for, you must then pursue it. But currently non-collectible status in some installment agreements, this can be as easy as picking up the phone with the IRS, explaining your financial situation, giving some basic numbers, maybe submitting any documentation they ask for. For more aggressive installment agreements, as well as an offer in compromise, you will generally have to submit special forms to the IRS in order to establish your position. For an installment agreement, these forms may be for example, Form 9465 and Form 433A for a data collectability offer and compromise. The forms may be the, um, the Form 656 and the 433A OIC. Note that after you submit your currently non-collectible or installment agreement request, you may have to wait for a few weeks, maybe even longer than that sometimes for the IRS to approve it. Sometimes these things take manager approval, but that's not really all that bad <laughs> compared to the uh, like seven to 12 month waiting time for the IRS to respond to an offer and compromise. And step 10 is to remain in compliance. After you establish a resolution for your existing tax debt, it's important that you stay in compliance by filing all required returns, making all required estimated tax payments, and making sure you've paid in your full balance for future tax years before it's due, which is the due date is generally April 15th of the following year, the original due date of your return. If you don't remain in compliance with your, with your um, future and ongoing tax obligations, the results could be disastrous. Failing to pay your current taxes, for example, could cause you to default on your installment agreement or even your offer and compromise, right? And you have to start your fight with the IRS all over again. Like I said, I have those in-depth videos I mentioned before 
on the three major tax relief options. You can find them uh, in my tax relief playlist right here. I also have another video right down here about the truth about the IRS Fresh Start program. Don't believe everything here about IRS Fresh Start. I also have an ebook you can download right below my face, uh, Seven Secrets About Your Tax that the IRS doesn't want you to know. I'll see you later, folks. I hope you enjoy my videos. Bye-bye.